Amanda and my name is not Kristen and we are in no way sisters but this is the annual Valentine's Day episode where my husband and I Brad do the Valentine's Day episode so last year we did the original 80s My Bloody Valentine and the year before that we did the 2009 remake of My Bloody Valentine and this year for episode 130 we are going to be reviewing 2001's Valentine it's literally just called Valentine. It's a slasher that I've never even heard of before. I think it kind of flew under the radar and I'll go over, you know, maybe why it flew under the radar a little bit later and see what Brad thought. If you don't remember, Brad's not a huge fan of horror movies. He just doesn't watch them. He's, you're definitely more of a comedy kind of guy. Yeah, definitely more into comedies, action, stupid things. Yeah. <laughs> and you jump really easily, so... Yeah, yeah, you make fun of me for that every time. This one didn't have a ton of jump scares, though, which is one of the things that I will be critiquing it on. This one, you know, it's it's about a group of girls, which is pretty standard for a slasher, getting hunt by a killer, which is also pretty standard for a slasher. But there are some things that it falls flat for and some things that it did okay, but... There are probably several reasons why you may not have heard of this one that we'll get into, but generally, what was your overall opinion while watching this one? Did it keep your attention or? I mean, there were a lot of like bad puns and like it was honestly cast, in my opinion, like a spoof movie. It literally felt like the cast was like of like scary movie, epic movie, any of those stupid kind of parodies. That's really how I felt it was cast. But yeah, the stupid puns and like the, and like the little rhymes, just the little things were enough to kind of keep the attention. Didn't get bored by any means, but definitely wasn't like my favorite or anything. Yeah, it probably felt like that because like in the beginning, the very beginning, so we have well, I guess the very beginning, before they start getting picked off, we have this group of girls going through their preteen and teenage years. And there's one specific boy that consistently asks each one of them to dance at their middle school and high school dances. And they reject him, but they don't just reject them. They're really bitchy about it. Yeah. They're horrible to him. And like, you can reject someone and not be a bitch about it. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, to the point where they're, like, he's, like, oh, you look so pretty in your dress. Do you want to dance? And they're just, like, ew, right to his face. Well, they call him a perv for complimenting them. Yeah, yeah, like, stupid, stupid shit like that. It's, they're just, for lack of a better term, they are just bitches. They are, and they don't really lose that when they get older either. It's definitely that syndrome, I guess you could say, of pretty girls that grew up and they stayed pretty and never really had to know any other way I guess I'm not trying to say that you can't have adversity if you're just a beautiful person but you know because but they were just horrible people they were just mean yeah yeah definitely that movie stereotype of the pretty spoiled girl in in high school and middle school is gonna be a pretty spoiled girl when she's an adult it's just the classic movie formula especially a lower budget feeling horror movie definitely kind of kind of vibes with me there that that's kind of a case there 
Yeah, speaking of budget, because we talked about this before, this had a $10 million budget and it brought in about $36.7 million at the box office. It was distributed by Warner Brothers and Roadshow. Village Roadshow did a lot of these type movies, especially around this time. And this is definitely one of those that you would kind of bring, you would bring a date to. It's one of those horror movies. It released February 2nd, so literally this was made for a purpose, you know, to get teenagers, especially in the movie theater with their dates to bring in their money and for the guy to put his arm around her and for her to cover her eyes and to bring up that adrenaline and somebody's going to get laid later, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. This movie probably was a contributing factor to the teen pregnancy rate in 2001. Optimistically. I mean, I guess <laughs> I, I don't know. It's definitely, I would have left being pretty, not turned on about this movie in particular, but you know, I guess if you wanted to be like a damsel in distress at a horror movie, even if it wasn't that great and be like, Oh my God, it was so scary. Or maybe if horror movies actually get you, but, but they're terrible to him. And one of the girls, she's the token fat girl too, which it drives me nuts because she wasn't even like fat, you know, she was like, bigger than the rest of them but that's not saying much when the rest of them are like super thin yeah and like they they called her buffalo at the sixth grade dance and like she was like not even that much bigger than the other girls like it was they were definitely very mean to her and they and they overplayed that aspect a lot and she actually was the only one to dance with him at the dance and they ended up making out under the bleachers and the school or these jock boys caught them and said, did he attack you? And he didn't, but she didn't want to be caught with him. So she said yes. And then he was tormented. And basically we find out later that he got sent to a basically reform school because of it and spiraled into madness. <laughs> so because of them essentially. And that was like the final straw though. So rejection, 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 and not just like, no, thanks. Like there, there's a way to reject people. And no offense, but like, you know what I talk about on the podcast and how political we are typically, but men got some fragile egos and even polite rejection is not often taken well. Not you take it well, you know, we've been on the not all men train before, but yeah, so, but they were cruel to this poor kid. So he uh, did descent into madness and became basically a hunter after them later in life. Or so you think, because you can assume as the viewer that's what's happening throughout the rest of the movie. This movie definitely uh, is an extreme take, I would say, but still like very warranted in a sense of like what cruelty can do and like create in like creating that fragile masculinity, not excusing it by any means, but you know they were just terrible to him, and that definitely was a factor in him having that fragile masculinity causing that descent to madness because you find out later too like he got sent to that reform school pretty quick after everything happened and he got accused of attacking her which by the way there is no mention of like an investigation or anything it feels like it was this girl says oh he attacked me and the school just said oh well he's going to reform school right away which is so unrealistic but then yeah he just after he goes to reform school it was what 18 months is what they said that later that he was in a state run mental hospital and then just kind of lost track of him after that. So just a little observation. It's so interesting how you remember all these little details without notes, because like I didn't remember like specifically 18 months later 
and you remember that kind of shit because I do not. I stare at numbers and data literally all day, so... I mean, I'm pretty good with dates and stuff, but I guess I'm looking, I'm thinking more along the lines of like plot and plot holes and shit, I guess. I don't know. But so they flash forward, obviously, to about 10 years later or 10 years since I think high school, basically. So they're in their 20s. And one of them's on a really, really bad date with this guy with the initials JM, which is important later because it's the same initials of that guy. Or it could be that guy impersonating someone else, which is important later. But this is Catherine Heigl. 2001 Catherine Heigl. Pre-Grey's Anatomy Catherine Heigl, I'm pretty sure. Pre-career, like flourishing career Catherine Heigl. Yeah. (laughs) And you mentioned how you knew that earlier. And what was your reasoning? Oh, yeah, definitely uh, pre-relevance Catherine Heigl, strictly because she's the first to die. How do you have Catherine Heigl in a low-budget movie and kill her first? Oh, wait, nobody knows who Catherine Heigl is yet. Well, and it's not like a Drew Barrymore situation where it's like she thought it would be cool, you know, like in Scream. But so she is a medical student, and she's working in a cadaver lab. And I will say something I will give this movie is I did enjoy some of the kills. But other than that, there it was a little lackluster. I guess I'll just give away some of my thoughts. But he comes into the cadaver lab, and she hides in a body bag, and he kills her, you know, in the bag, and she dies. And that's when the, all the friends come together for her funeral, and that's really the first glimpse of all of them you see. And something that it does right away is it introduces you to one of their boyfriends who is an alcoholic, and she's struggling with him. And so then it's also brought into that subplot point as well. Yeah, before she dies, too, there's a major foreshadowing point. She opens her locker in the locker room, and there's a valentine with a very nasty rhyme that says something to the tune of, you're going to get your neck slit, your throat slit tonight. So, yeah, good times. Good times for her. She was freaking out about that. Well, yeah, I mean, I would too, but it's also kind of people just do that to scare you all the time, especially women. But this is, you know, she, she does. She gets her throat cut and then we're move on to the funeral and then other shit starts up what what's really weird is like I don't think now I didn't have a similar group of friends like my friend group was very different I don't I know you're not a woman and if Kristen and I were discussing this I think we had not Kristen I had similar friend groups but we definitely she's going to be editing this and I think like nodding her head like I don't think she had mostly guy friends I don't think this is just how like group of women friends like behave generally like yeah we talk about sex and we talk about like finding men if we're single but they just are kind of whack like I don't know it's just weird the way that they behave together you can definitely tell that this was a script not written by a group of female friends do you know what I mean and it felt like that yeah definitely it was actually based on a novel which I thought was interesting by a guy named Tom Savage well Tom Savage didn't write a group of female friends very well. And I'm not saying he wrote the dialogue. There was, there were two women on the writing team for this. It was two men and two women that this was written by. And I just, you know, it's so overdone. It's very kind of this teen, it feels very teen drama, even though it's not very overdone, very out of touch with dialogue. But also at the same time, when you said it feels like a spoof movie, it kind of does have that air about it 
throughout the whole thing. You know, there's a lot of sex and that feels like the main plot point and the slashers just kind of off to the side is what it felt like to me. Yeah. Agree a hundred percent. I mean, there was every, all the, all the classic spoof movie kind of gems. There's the blonde, there's the smart one. There's the one who feels like the ugly duckling. And then there's the one who's the hot one who just has a lot of sex all the time. Yeah. Which I liked her character, but you know, so as we're getting on through, like they're all getting Valentine's or kind of being stalked. There's one that gets a, like a bunch of chocolates that have maggots in them. There's one who has this creepy neighbor and she just like excuses his stalking the whole time, which is super fucking weird. Like if I had a neighbor that I thought was like coming into my apartment, because at one point she takes a shower, gets out of the shower and she sees that her door is open and she's just like, Oh, well must be the creepy dude. Are you fucking kidding me? No. And then her boyfriend also laughs it off. If I told you and we lived separately that I think somebody came into my apartment while I was showering, are are you joking? You're just going to laugh it off and make a joke about it? Uh, that motherfucker, like every time she got out of the elevator, because he lived directly across from the elevator in the apartment building, he would like pop out and try to talk to her and he would speak solely in rhymes, which I thought was hilariously stupid. I loved her line of, you're really scary, Gary. And then she ran back to her apartment. But yeah, I mean, everyone knows where homeboy lives. I would be kicking that door down. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I don't understand why that was so funny to everyone when it's really terrifying, but he's clearly making moves here. And one of them, actually, they go to this art exhibit and it's got a maze in it. And one of them is actually supposed to be going out of town and she's in this art maze basically and they just leave her alone and she gets shot with he has a bow and arrows and he shoots her and she dies and they just don't even see her leave her friends just like are like cool I guess she's gone like whatever they just assume she left to LA and they're also talking to a cop and he mentions at some point jm left her a valentine and they're also getting things from this jm and they just don't even mention that yeah i i actually had the note for the kill on this one the note was artistic ass kill this one was one of my favorites in the movie honestly she got kind of stunned by the first arrow second one knocked her back and then third one sent her over a railing and she just happened to fall perfectly down this like circling staircase directly straight smack dab in the middle hit the bullseye of this dumpster and then the lid closes on her it was just so perfect it it was kind of satisfying like in that almost asmr way like the soap cutting it kind of felt like that to me a little bit watching her body fall and i feel like a psychopath saying that you don't listen to our podcast much do you because we talk about kills all the time that are satisfying (laughs) but also i wanted to mention like they their friend died they of the one they know about and literally they don't even talk about her they don't even act like they're sad they just continue to talk about guys and sex constantly like that's the only thing that matters like if one of my friends died and someone murdered her that would literally be all I could talk about I don't like forever it's just like the dialogue here and what they do and say just kind of boggles me and that's why it feels and I know it's not supposed to be realistic this is a slasher movie but like at least make it feel like you want to give your characters some personality like yeah no human emotion it was just like 
oh my god, we're sad she died for like, what, five minutes of movie? And then it's like, okay, well, we're going to go speed dating now. Literally, yeah. I forgot about the speed dating. Yeah, they did find out she died after speed dating. but like, literally walked out of the bar and the phone rang. <laughs> but still, they could have gone right back to it and that would have fit the characters. So... But one of the other ones dies. They don't even check up on her. They just assume she's in L.A. And then she's not. And then also they go to the police. They all kind of convene the police. And they agree that the culprit could be Jeremy Melton, which is the guy that they all were mean to in high school. And then Dorothy was the token fat girl, has this boyfriend named Campbell. And she's known him for a month, let him move into her family's home and doesn't even know his last name and is super protective about him. And my problem with this character, again, is kind of personal. Like she is basically being the stupid, desperate fat girl. Like she's so desperate for love because she, and she, okay, as an adult, she's not fat. Like she just has had this like pent up, self-esteem issues from being like the fat friend growing up so she's just willing to like risk all their lives and throw everything away for this man she's only known a month and that is a one a huge character flaw but also like stop painting fat girls as being that desperate i literally hate it so fucking much yeah and like i feel like they tried to play into like her character being the token the token sad fat girl too much because like she's a trust fund baby dad's rich Dad has a 20-year-old wife. So, like, they're just painting her up as, like, she was friends with the pretty girls because she was rich. And that's how the whole movie kind of sets her character up. So, yeah, definitely major issues with how they set that up. It was stupid. Well, it was the early 2000s. And regardless of not being woke, it's just, like, a shitty thing to do and to make people feel, you know. But she's got this boyfriend and she's defending him. And they're like, for all we know, that could be him. Like, he could just be impersonating someone and making up these aliases. And she gets super mad about it and storms off. And then this is so stupid. This did not need to be in the movie at all. It added literally nothing. Not a goddamn thing to the movie. The cop tells Paige, who is the hypersexualized one of the friend group, to stay behind because he has more questions for her. And then's like, what are we going to do about this? And she's like, about what? And then like puts his hand on her thighs and he's like, about the sexual tension. So the cop's trying to flirt with her and she basically tells him to fuck off. But for what? That was literally so not needed. You have enough sex in this whole movie to not have the middle-aged cop like be a nasty pervert with her. There was no reason for it. And they never circled back to it once in the movie. It happened and no, and it was never mentioned, never referenced again. Like literally she goes back to her friend's house, her friend Kate, who's like kind of the main character, I would say, and tells her, Hey, this happened. Told him to go fuck himself. And then it was done. They never mentioned it, never circled back. It never came back up in the, in the story whatsoever. So it was just a dumb Waste of like two minutes. It was two. It was literally two minutes that should have been cut. Yeah, it was. It was really stupid. Like, it, I was watching it and I was like, "This is so fuck." Like, the movie w- is whatever, but you could literally just like in my mind, like, just tanked some of your movie because that is so absolutely stupid. But Dorothy's having a Valentine's Day party. And again, remember, Dorothy's the token fat girl. Okay. And of the morning of her party, the killer is in her house and murders her boyfriend. So we know it's not her boyfriend, Campbell, with an axe in the basement. 
and the others assumed he has simply left Dorothy. She gave him a really expensive watch and had sex with him, and he bounced. And Dorothy is super pissed. And the other ones, so Kate is kind of our main character, and Adam is her alcoholic boyfriend, but she's trying to give him other chances. And then we have Paige, who's our, like, hyper-sexualized kind of hard-ass character, I guess you could say. They go to the party, and we have this, another sex scene with Paige, which, which is kind of funny, but first of all, she takes this guy upstairs. This is literally also adds nothing to the movie, but he says, I want to show you something, and he just whips out his dick and says, what are you waiting for? Wax it. And then I was kind of pissed because she says she goes to have sex with him. I was like, after that, you're still going to have sex with him. But she ties him up and just pours candle wax on his dick. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's cool. You can do that. For me, this was like the funniest part in the whole damn movie because homie was just a dick. He was an idiot. He was he looked like he had the personality and intelligence of a kumquat. And I mainly say that just because I like to say the word kumquat. It's actually an insult to that wonderful, wonderful plant. But yeah, he, he he's like, I got a surprise. And I'm like over here like, oh, God, what's going to happen? Oh, is he going to kill her? Is he the killer? Oh, my God. Nope. He just wants his dick wet. And yeah. Yeah. She just I I was like, oh, my God. When she tied him up, I was like, oh, my God, there's candles. Oh, my God. She's going to do this. She's going to do this. And Amanda was like glaring at me while I was while we were watching this because I wouldn't shut up. But I was just like, oh, my God, she's going to do it. She's going to put wax on his dick. She's going to fucking do it. And then right when she did it, I just started clapping. Yeah. That was, she could make a dick cast out of wax, like at the wax museum, like you do with your hands as a memento, as a nice little souvenir, you know, little dick cast, little dick cast of wax. <laughs> a knickknack dick cast? A knickknack patty whack. <laughs> Get it? Because you can whack a dick whack. You whack your dick. No, okay. You said wax, not whack. I said knickknack patty whack because you whack your dick. Yeah, but you're going apples and oranges here. So anyways, <laughs> the detective calls at some point too, and he literally says, the killer might be there, so don't split up. And then Kate sees her boyfriend, her alcoholic boyfriend drinking, and she does this several times. She brings her alcoholic boyfriend, who is trying to get into recovery, to bars and to parties where there is alcohol. That is the least supportive thing you can do because he's only been sober for three weeks. Yeah, like the first time she brings him to a bar, she's like, they're like, what can I get you? And she's like, oh, give me a Corona. And then he's like, I'll take a club soda. And she's like, actually, you know what? Make that too. You dumb, big idiot. Like if I, let's say had somebody in, like if they're 20 years sober and they're confident in their abilities to remain sober, if you want to go to a party that has alcohol, especially a house party, okay. But don't meet at a bar. And I'm not talking about a restaurant that happens to have a bar like the Olive Garden. I'm talking they were sitting at the bar and not eating and talking about his sobriety. What the actual fuck? That is so messed up. If I was that bartender, I would just be like side-eyeing them. Like, what the fuck are you even doing here the whole time? Yes, you can have this $1.50 club soda and my garbage tip. Thank you for wasting space in my bar. So she gets mad. And then literally after a minute of getting off the phone with the fucking cop, when he tells her he's probably there, stay in a group. She fucking splits the group. While in the meantime, Paige is in the hot tub by herself. So everyone splits up. They do the thing. 
We all know the thing. They split up. And then also, at some point, Dorothy and Kate start fighting about who's the killer. Is it Campbell? Is it her boyfriend? Why isn't it her boyfriend? And Dorothy, at this point, becomes super fucking defensive about being the fat girl. And there, you're just jealous because now I have Campbell, a boyfriend. And it's like, bitch nobody cares like congratulations but you're giving up all of your dignity for your self-esteem issues like I get it but like chill out did you also notice what she was doing when Kate found her and they started the argument so when she, when they find when Kate finds her and they start arguing they're playing into the quote-unquote token fat girl thing even more because Dorothy is literally sitting there stuffing her face with chicken wings and there is there is like a boneyard of chicken bones that's like literally a mound of them in front of her. So like it even just played into that the whole time. Oh, you mean an eating disorder? Yeah. 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 Mm. Also, we so they split up because Dorothy's being super ridiculous and mad. She doesn't know her own fucking boyfriend's last name, but she's like defending him over her friends because she's mad that she's the fat girl, even though he's dead, but she doesn't know that. And I literally hate these women. Like, they make me so angry. There's no common sense. Maybe I'm not giving them enough credit, but I really just, they make me so mad. And in the meantime, Paige gets killed in the hot tub. And this one was terrible. So he shuts the hot tub lid on her, which is like a see-through clear plastic lid. And he takes a, is it a drill with just a long, really long bit on it? Yeah, it's a corded drill that it's... I mean, working for my dad, who's a contractor, uh, it's essentially a drill to like drill like holes into concrete. Like the, the drill bit on it's like two and a half feet long, and homie's got it plugged into the wall, so it's a high powered one, and he's like just jamming that drill bit through the acrylic lid, trying to drill into her skull essentially and kill her in the hot tub. And he tries, and she's swimming around, kind of playing chicken with him. Honestly, the killer is really has really bad aim. She wasn't moving that fast. Ends up grazing her arm, and then the hot tub fills with blood. So he's like, ah, yes. Opens the lid. She's still there. So he's she, she's still there with the blood in the water after he opens the lid. And so what's he do? He doesn't close the lid and go back to having fun. No, he's done. He's ready, he's ready to move on to the next kill. The killer just throws the whole ass drill in there, electrocutes her, and then somehow that just pops every breaker in the house, and the power goes out, and the party dies. Right. So now the party dies and we have pretty much everyone's dead except for Kate and Dorothy. And Dorothy or Kate, excuse me, calls the sheriff and goes outside, hears his phone ringing and finds his head in a koi pond with a note that she wrote her boyfriend, Adam. So you're like, oh, it is Adam. It is her boyfriend after they were just you know, pointing fingers at each other. It's the long-term boyfriend that she knows all about his family and his last name. I guess it didn't matter because, you know, you've kind of been thinking that the whole time that it's been Kate's boyfriend all along because he's been like the sweet, consistent one and the funny, has a nice personality, is attractive, you know, all this stuff. So Sheriff's dead and useless and everyone's gone and the power's out so it's just Dorothy and Kate and Adam's got to be somewhere around here because he's the killer right yeah so what does Kate do she runs off goes to the basement because that's where you always go when there's killers you run to the basement where there's less ways to get out so she kind of fumbles stumbles around finds some 
less than ideal things down there. But then she finds a gun. And once she finds that pistol, I'm sitting there like, oh my God, she's going to hurt herself before she even loads it. Took her like two minutes almost to load the damn thing. It took her like six tries to get the magazine to actually go into place. And then magically once it's loaded, she knows exactly how to hold it. So yeah, and she's running around looking like, oh my God, where's this killer? Where's this killer? Where's this killer? And yeah, it just ends up being this whole like really bad hunting scene with her. She's all shaky doing everything wrong really and yeah it was just bad she was just dumb well before that she also at some point runs into adam and is terrified that he's the killer and you know like you assume he is and he kind of starts chasing her and she runs upstairs to get dorothy and then another fight ensues and you know she wants to get dorothy and get the fuck out of there and then they tumble down the stairs and the killer is shot and you look and Adam has shot the killer and you take the mask off and it's Dorothy and Dorothy's the killer. And it's this major twist as the end. And as Kate and Adam wait for the police to arrive, they're hugging and she's kind of falling asleep on him. And Adam says he's always loved her. And moments later, like Kate closes her eyes and his nose begins to bleed, which has been a theme throughout the movie. He wears a mask and, the killer's nose bleeds every time he makes a kill. And so they say, oh, here's a twist. It's Dorothy. But actually, it's been Adam the whole time. And Adam is actually Jeremy Milton. And he framed Dorothy for his crimes. Because Kate, in the beginning, as a kid, actually wasn't terrible. When he asked her to dance, she said, maybe later. And he said, oh, okay, maybe later, maybe later. And that's when he went to ask Dorothy to dance. And that's when they ended up making out. So he's actually always been okay with Kate, never wanted to kill her, just wanted to kill all her friends. Yeah, this was like the M. Night Shyamalanian twist of the movie. And like, it's a really bad twist because like it literally does the twist. And then 15 seconds later, it undoes the twist. And when it undoes the twist, it's literally what you've been expecting the entire damn movie. And Jeremy becoming Adam has done one of three things. Either one, he has mastered the pubertus spell, like Neville Longbottom, and became hot very quickly during puberty. Or two, he had a lot of money and got some damn good plastic surgery. Or three, he has supernatural powers and did a whole like face swap thing or something. But you never know with a slasher. I mean, puberty can do a lot of things and so can like working out and getting a lot of dental work. So, you know, and you know, again, my big problem with this movie is that the characters are super unrealistic in their friendships. They didn't really care about each other. It felt like, especially for friends that were friends since like middle school, basically, or maybe elementary school. Yeah. The only two friends that I really got that actually liked each other were uh, Kate and Paige. They were together like the whole movie. Very rarely were they apart. And if they were apart, they were, like, in the same building, just in different places in the building. But, yeah, every other character was just like, oh, you're a convenient friend. Those two, I felt like, were actually friends. But then they also just talked shit to to each other a lot about sex. And all they talked about was sex and boys and other stupid shit. They definitely didn't feel like they were the, the age group that they were supposed to be. Another thing that I mentioned was the 
movie is about an hour 45 or something like that. And it does not feel like the slasher is a major point. There's a lot of long plot in between actual killing and hunting that gets a little tedious and doesn't really feel like the slasher is the main point. You're kind of going through these friends lives and it shows a lot of their individual lives leading up to the killer actually hunting them. And so it felt like almost like a subplot to me. The characters definitely felt like they were high school girls or like maybe like 20, 21, but they're supposed to be like 20, you know, in their mid, late 20, in their mid to late twenties, you know, Catherine Heigl's character is in med school. So like, she's old enough to be past her undergrad and actually into med school. So, you know, they're, they're definitely older, you know, mid to late twenties. And they're talking like they're 21 years old, going to the bar every night, you know, the classic stereotypical movie college, college kind of college kid thing. And when you make a slasher and it's such a small, in my opinion, did I was just kept waiting and waiting and waiting for action to happen. And it just got kind of dull to me. And I was kind of bored, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I don't know if I would say I was necessarily bored. But, I mean, I, 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 I was wanting more action. It felt like it was 20 minutes between kills. And your kill scenes were maybe, what, a few minutes up to five max. And, you know, it just felt underwhelming in places like when the the kills, I thought the kills were actually fairly well done overall. I thought they were, I thought there was a nice bit of art to it for lack of a better term, but like, I just wanted more. I wanted more detail. I wanted more suspense. And yeah, like you said, the jump scares, jump scares are a big part of slashers. I jump, like I watch most slashers. I'm jumping half the damn movie and Amanda's just, not paying attention to the movie and laughing at me because she thinks it's hilarious that I jump at literally everything. And this one, like, I think I jumped once the entire time, maybe twice. It just doesn't like the kills were fine. The blood was fine. But when you have a $10 million budget, that's pretty easy to do because it doesn't take a ton of creativity. The kills were not super creative. There was one scene that was just kind of an auxiliary character. They killed off where there was broken glass and he shoved her neck down on it. That was pretty good. Other than that, none of the kills really stood out to me, but they were okay. And the killer was not something that will stick with you. It's not like he's obviously, this was 2001, he didn't become a Freddy or a Jason, something that we talk about. So it wasn't like this stuck around. It wasn't something that I even heard about and it's not something you really hear about. I'm sure it's got its following, but it's definitely not something that I would watch. I think overall, because of the creativity of the kills, it gets a two from me. It was almost a one, but I it doesn't make me mad enough to give it a one. It's just the... But it's not good enough to get a three because I've definitely given other movies a three that I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, that was a solid film, but it wasn't like great. But this was definitely like pretty lackluster to me. Pretty boring, but the kills were okay when they were happening. And there was just way too much time in between where nothing was happening that you gave a shit about. I just thought of this. The killer reminds me a little bit of like a really shitty, like generic brand version of the killer from Happy Death Day a little bit. Because he wore the Cupid mask similar to Happy Death Day wearing the baby mask. But Happy Death Day was exponentially better of a movie than this. I mean, yeah, I'm same score. I'm a two out of ten on this. We um, five, so or two out, five, two out of five. Two out of five. I'm a two. Yeah, two out, of, two out of five. You know, wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. I thought it was better than the 12% Rotten Tomatoes score. 
I saw that and I was like, oh God, what are we getting into? But now that, you know, once I saw it, you know, 12% seems a little lower than what I would personally give it. But I mean, the audience score of 33 is a little more aligned with where I would be. Yeah, so the audience score is a 33% with about 50,000 plus ratings, and the critics are at about a 76. There's about 76 critics that gave it a 12% average. Everyone's just saying it's pretty lackluster. It's pretty forgettable. It feels like a new teen slasher flick, you know, but it is not supposed to be a teen slasher. I mean, teens will see it, but as far as the characters go, so, you know, it's not like the worst thing I've ever seen. If you want to watch a Valentine's Day slasher, absolutely do it. I think that my bloody Valentine's probably a little bit better, but if I had to say like, I don't even like particularly love those movies either, but I do think as far as kills go, those are better. So I would, but honestly, happy death day is pretty fun too. And those are Valentine's day movies. So there's a lot of good options out there for you, but, and this one's okay too. So if you haven't seen it, give it a watch and see what you think and let us know. Pro tip. Turn this movie into a Valentine's Day drinking game and have a good time with it. It'll definitely make it go faster and make the dull, make the dull slow kind of plot building points that don't need to be there feel a little better. You know, I think you can make a fun kind of drinking game or something like that out of this movie, though, and kind of kind of turn it into something something a little better than it was. Well, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us for this special Valentine's Day episode. Happy Sunday. Happy Valentine's Day. We hope whether you are single or paired up or have multiple partners consensually that you enjoy your day you can follow us of course on all of our socials at the extra sisters podcast twitter is at the extra sisters you can check out our patreon which is patreon.com slash the extra sisters podcast we have two tiers a one dollar a month tier and a five dollar a month tier if you want some extra content head on over there and join our little patreon family and again happy valentine's day 